Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Live from Liverpool, the dark paranormal. Dark Bites. Hi everyone and welcome back to your Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. On this week's show, we do have something special and a bit of a one-off. We have a guest storyteller. And I think you'll know who it is. But before we get to that person, what we're going to do, as we usually do here is cover some of the shorter stories that we've received from our listeners. Some of the stories that are not quite long enough to make the full show. And our first email today comes in from Mayim. And they write, My name is Mayim. It's not my real name, but I want to remain anonymous. When I was a young child, I lived in this house in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains in the USA. It was in that house that I had the worst seizures ever, as well as nightmares. Me and my sister would go down this road that was near our hangout space. Now, I always got a bad feeling about going down there, or even living in that house. One night, I had a dream that the road we always went down was a portal to hell, and evil was waiting down there for me, waiting to kill me. After that, I never went down that road again. While I lived there, I was a sickly child as well as an adult. I got stomach flu and had to go to the hospital by ambulance because it was so bad. I also got bad pneumonia and I missed a week's school. Fast forward to adulthood and for a long time we didn't live in that house. We rented it out. Once the renter went, we were free to move back in. That's when I got really sick with gallstones. I also had a cyst on my ovary, but then had to get gallbladder surgery not long after my VNS failed on me. If you don't know what a VNS is, it's a vaginal nerve stimulator. Kind of like a pacemaker for the brain. I have a battery in my chest with wires that go up my vaginal nerve to mildly shock my brain. Anyways, the wires to it disconnected and I needed surgery again. It was that bad that they had to replace the whole thing. As I was living at the house, I experienced severe anxiety, to the point where I would pass out from it. When we moved away, the anxiety eased, and I no longer had those health problems. However, when I talked to a friend about my dream, describing the portal to hell... I ended up going into a seizure whilst describing it, and I don't think it was a coincidence. To this day, I am out of the house, but I still have nightmares about the house being haunted. But that's my true story of my run with pure evil. 
Such an interesting story there, playing with the idea that places could be potentially almost like a battery charging up evil and nefarious energy, just waiting for that right person with the right sort of psyche to unleash it and unfortunately be the recipient of it. Thank you so much, Mayim, for your story. Let's move on to our next true paranormal encounter. I'm not sure if this all counts as proof of my ghost. I have thought maybe I was going crazy, but at my old house, we used to have a lot of weird experiences. The whole house felt bad, to be honest. It was just this uneasy feeling, and a feeling of being watched, not in a good way. I remember I got to choose which bedroom would be mine when we first went in, and instead of the bigger one, I went to the small one at the end of the hall. It just felt nicer than the rest of the house. We had a lot of weird experiences there, a lot of them creepy. None of our pets would ever step foot in that basement, but I'll write about those later. What I really want an opinion on is what I think is my ghost. In this bad house, my room always felt safe. Nothing really bothered me past my front door, and things I would lose would turn up in very obvious places when I spoke of them out loud. Now, I always joked about the ghosts in the house and tried to be nice to them in an effort to have them not scare me. When I moved out, whilst packing, I'd run out of tape. Somehow, when I stopped for supper, tape was put in plain sight on top of the last box. There was only me and my mum there, and she'd spent time helping me look for more tape, but said there was none. So, me being me, I said... Okay, thank you, ghost. You've always been nice. You can come with me if you want. Now, when I moved into my apartment, both me and my boyfriend would see a shadow. Only briefly. Move through the hall once in a while and our cats would play with invisible friends, as if they were playing with each other. Things would go missing and then turn up when I needed them, just like in my old bedroom. Lots of times, but I don't want to take up too much space in this story. We've since moved again, and once again, while leaving, I think I might have a bit of a fondness for this thing, I said out loud, you can come with me if you want. At our new place, the same stuff as usual, finding things in weird places, shadows, lights going on and off, etc. What I want to know is, is it possible for the same ghost to follow me? I don't remember any experiences before moving into the bad house when I was about 13, and anyone I was close to had died way before then. I can't tell if it's a guy or a girl, or if they even knew me. It's just this weird sense that it doesn't mean me any harm, even if it scares us sometimes with pranks. I'm now 20, so this has been going for many years and my boyfriend now believes me due to things he's heard and seen, although he's not much of a believer. Any thoughts or comments would be appreciated. Well, firstly, what an amazing story. And secondly, I would be personally very careful about asking a spirit to follow you from a house to a house, especially if you're moving house several times. Because on your third or fourth move, you may be inviting something that isn't the original ghost along with you. 
I've heard many experiences and in fact totally believe that you can invite or bring along a spirit with you. You often hear about ghost hunters or so-called ghost hunters bringing an attachment back from when they've been to an alleged haunted place. And it's certainly a theory that I do put some weight in. So my only suggestion would be maybe the next time you move, change what you're actually saying. So perhaps change your request to something along the lines of, I allow the original spirits from this particular house to follow me to my next one and no others. I do think people need to be genuinely careful on what they're inviting into the place that they live. And also, without wanting to be that guy, how many stories do we hear where a ghost starts out as friendly, playful, nice, playing the odd prank, and then turns much more nefarious? So, just overall, be very careful with what you're playing with there. Let's have our next true paranormal experience. I live in the dorms on university. And while strange things tend to happen to my roommate, I usually shrug them off. I was raised in a psychically sensitive family and was brought up to not fear the paranormal, but to respect it and still know how to protect myself from it, using shields and simple incantations. This has always been more or less second nature to me, and I've never truly felt threatened by any presences around me, until recently. Christmas break rolled around this year, and my roommate went home the day after her classes ended. I've slept alone in our room before, and I was leaving as well the next day, so it wasn't a big deal. When I went to bed that night, things felt somewhat different. I shrugged it off, figuring I was just overtired and closed my eyes. As soon as I did, I got an exceedingly clear mental image of an older man standing a few feet away from my bed, glaring at me. This was of course disconcerting, but I just opened my eyes, counted a few sheep to get rid of the lingering image, and then tried once more to go to sleep. After all, it was probably just my imagination. I've seen similar mental images before, ranging from people I've never met in my life to elephants in tutus. Though this wasn't exactly a dancing pachyderm, it was hardly unusual. But still, I couldn't sleep. I kept getting the feeling that there was something near the foot of my bed, standing in the doorway to my dorm room. This reminded me that I hadn't actually locked the door before laying down. So I reluctantly stood back up to go and lock it. I didn't want to walk through those few feet of space. It felt like there was something there that I didn't want anything to do with. I quickly locked up and dove back into bed, closing my eyes tightly. For several long moments, everything seemed okay again. Several years ago, I began learning how to use my energy to gently influence things. Pendulums for the most part, though on occasion in crowded areas... I would use it to subtly keep people away from my personal space. I could form a barrier that would discourage people, on a subconscious level, from getting too close. I've always done this to some extent when I was younger, but have only recently began doing it on purpose. Learning how to do this has made me more aware of my aura, 
of the energy that surrounds me, and sometimes I can tell when someone is thinking very hard about me, just based off changes in my own energy. I bring this up because I began to sense changes in my aura. I'm not a huge fan of this word, but it clearly gets across my meaning. It felt like someone was playing with my energy, perhaps sucking it away. This happened a time or two before in my bedroom at home, but there, all I needed to do was to tell it rather forcefully to stop, and it did. I did that in my dorm room and nothing happened. So then I put up that shield I've been using for so long, and still nothing happened. As I did this, I began to sense a sort of shape that went along with the bad feeling at the foot of my bed. Whatever it was reminded me of the velociraptors from Jurassic Park. Non-human, small and quite dangerous. Finally, I imagined a sort of energetic bomb going off, filling the room with bright white light, and the being seemed to vanish. I haven't noticed anything out of the ordinary so far now that we're back, but then again, it's only been a few days. I'm hoping whatever it was has left for good. Well, that is one terrifying way to describe the entity at the foot of your bed. Small, non-human, and very dangerous. And this is why I truly love doing this show. Is these visceral shorter accounts seem to carry an air of authenticity which is hard to replicate. And I also think sometimes a shorter, terrifying story sticks in your brain a lot easier than a lengthy one. Let's have our next true paranormal experience. My name is Andrea, and I'm a single mother of a two-year-old girl. I moved into my home eight years ago whilst engaged to my now ex-husband. Elderly neighbours explained to me that our community was originally built in the 50s. The houses were intended for war veterans returning to the States, so they could have some affordable housing. I'd lived in the home a little over a year and decided I would love to have a small dog for companionship whilst my husband worked late. It wasn't long after that the eight-month-old pup started barking viciously down the hallway facing the door, which is now my daughter's room. The hair on the back of her neck would stand on end and she would shake uncontrollably. The bedroom at this time only served as a guest room for storage and for extra clothes. The dog, who would never leave my side anywhere I went in the house, would refuse to go in this room. I could never understand why. I knew that some dogs have funny little quirks about them and just wrote it off as one of those things. Years passed and I never gave my little dog Cleo's behaviour much attention. However, one night in particular, I was watching TV, with my little pug sitting on my lap. She started shaking and I looked down at her and every hair on her back and her neck was standing up. She cowered in my lap and began licking her lips in submissive behaviour. I baby-talked her, trying to get her to relax whilst also looking around to see what had upset her so badly. I turned my head and saw nothing. Cleo jumped out of my lap and onto the back of our couch and began barking furiously to the point where she bit her tongue. I have to admit that this scared me terribly. Who or what was doing this to my dog? What does she see that I can't? 
I paced the house nervously until my husband arrived home. He could tell that I was very upset, but laughed at me when I told him of our encounter. He stated, You girls have been up late watching crazy movies. This occurred again on several occasions after that night, even with him present. He never gave it a second thought, and would scold our dog every time she behaved this way. Then, one summer, I'm told by the doctor that I'm pregnant. My husband at this time was having an affair that I was not aware of until I was seven months pregnant. We had a horrible fight that night over his adulterous behaviour. I made him leave that night. I couldn't bear to see his face. Minutes after he left the driveway, I began crying hysterically on the couch. My dog Cleo was lying beside me when she began the curl lip growling again. I looked up and the pendants over my bar were swinging in small circles. My nerves were already shot, and words began coming out of my mouth that I would never say in a calm state. I shouted, If you're here to hurt me, go ahead and get it over with. Can't you see I'm in enough pain? The pendants immediately stopped moving, and my little dog chased whatever it was down the hallway, until she came to that door, and then she ran back to me. The incidents seemed to stop completely after that night. The birth of my daughter took my mind off all that had happened. The room that my little dog hated was now a sweet nursery for my new baby girl. But my little baby did not care for the room either. She would cry every time I would lay her down in her crib. I ended up buying a bassinet for my room and she would sleep all night long, except to wake up for feedings of course. As she grew older, she would go into the room to get toys and books. At times, she would look up toward the ceiling and reach her arms up as if someone was there. This, of course, scared me. What or who is in this room and why? Needless to say, my daughter now sleeps with me. My sister, who was a pharmacist assistant, watched my daughter for me one day whilst I was running errands. She heard my daughter talk to someone and went to investigate. Her aunt asked her who she was talking to, and my daughter responded, him, and pointed beside her. He plays with me and he lives in this room. My sister, who is former US Navy, grabbed my daughter's arm and left the house with all the lights on and unlocked. The reason I'm writing this story, though, is because of one particular incident. My cousin and I were sitting in the living room with her son who is two months older than my daughter. The little girl was in her room and began yelling and screaming at the top of her lungs. She ran into the living room to show us her arm. It was red and whelped. I remained calm and asked her what happened. She said, Mum, he told me to stay out of my closet and that I couldn't have my blue scarf. I asked her, who are you talking about? Your cousin's been in the room with us. No, mummy, the man that lives in my room. He said I can't have my scarf because I wrapped it around my neck too tight last time. My heart felt like it was in my throat. This man in her room understood what went on in our household. He'd heard me telling her off for wrapping it round her neck too tight. So tight I said she would strangle herself. My cousin became just as upset as me and would not let her son play in that room. They both left pretty much right away. 
The next day, she and her son returned. I'm a nurse's assistant and she'd come by to get her weekly shot. Her son went into the playroom and we could hear him talking. She jumped up and ran down the hallway. There was her son standing in the middle of the room, laughing and talking as if someone were picking with him, looking in the opposite direction of us. Again, she was left with an odd look on her face. She called me later that night to tell me of her son's experience. He'd wanted to come back and play with the man at the house. I have to admit that I'm a little scared. Who or what is in that room and why? He doesn't seem to be evil or really bother us. However, my daughter is afraid of the dark now when she never was. Is it because she can see him in the dark? And it startles her? How can two children who are less than three years old give the same description of a man that we can't see? They're too little to make this up. And my little dog, who I am sad to say has passed on, also knew he was here. I'm currently trying to find the original owners of the house, just to find out who he might be. Such a truly terrifying story there. The idea that children can see ghosts is a long-held one, and although it doesn't seem like there's any nefarious intent from this man, there is also quite a physical aspect if he's making your daughter's arm red with pressure from trying to keep her out of the closet. So like the previous story that we heard, my only advice would be to monitor this situation very, very carefully. Personally, for me, something doesn't seem right about that man in that room, especially as you add that your daughter is now scared of the dark when she never was before. So definitely keep track of what's going on there and let us know of any new developments. And now I'd like to introduce our special guest narrator. I had the pleasure of talking to basically a paranormal podcasting legend in Jim Harold. And I asked him what story over the years of his podcasting work keeps him awake at night. And this was his response. Let me think about one that disturbs me. I, I'll give you one that disturbs me, but it disturbs me in a different way. Because I worry about, I wonder about people who go missing sometimes. Now, certainly, I think in the vast majority of cases, the people who go missing you know, have either, you know, unfortunately maybe gotten an accident, not been able to find, be found, there's some foul play, they've been murdered, they've been kidnapped, something horrible. So I think the vast majority of people who go missing and are never found, there's there's usually a, probably a, a kind of logical answer. But what if there is another category of people who go missing and there is not a, quote, logical um, answer. Well, we had a story on the show that could kind of maybe give a glimpse into what could happen that would lead to somebody to be in that category. Uh, being a long-time listener, you probably heard this story, The Roadhouse Saloon. So basically, this is probably my all-time favorite campfire story, and it's terrifying, but not in a blood and guts kind of way. So basically, our... Um, Caller T.I. was in the American state of uh, Wisconsin, the place that for folks who may not be familiar, it's in the upper Midwest of the United States. 
and they were in kind of a rural area. They, um, she was staying at a camp, I think, with her family on holiday. And her and another friend from the camp, a gentleman by the name of Bob, went about an hour away to see a band go play. And um, uh, they um, closed the place down. Typically here in the States, bars close at 2 o'clock. And it's, you know, most municipalities, it's illegal to be later than that and serve alcohol. So they closed down the place uh, and stayed a little bit after even just talking to the band members because they were musicians as well. So anyway, they gather there about 2.30 in the morning. They're headed back to their campground about an hour away. It's a rural area, two-lane road, not a lot of lighting, uh, all woods. And T.I. tells Bob, I've got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, Bob says, well, you can pull up a tree, but other than that, there's not many options here. And she said, just drive fast. So he continues to drive, and in a few minutes, they come upon this bar. Now it's three o'clock in the morning, everything should be closed, but it's lit up. There's neon signs, there's cars, you can hear the music coming out of the place. And he thought, well, that's weird, but let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. We'll go in and uh, do what needs to be done. So they go in, T.I. goes to the restroom, Bob gets a drink from the bar. And when T.I. comes back, Bob says, you know, I'm really glad that we came here in a way because... See that mural over there? And the whole wall was point, uh, painted in the scene of like an old Western saloon in one of the old West movies. And uh, he said, I've always heard about this, but I wanted to see it and finally got to see it. And, and they kept looking at it. And the more they looked at it, they realized that everybody in the painting was actually physically in the bar. You know, I have one guy that, a cowboy standing against the wall, he was standing in a different part of the bar. The bartender was in a different part of the scene. Uh, in the bar, there were some guys playing pool. In in the mural, they were playing cards. So they were seeing people doing different things. He thought, well, that's weird. And they started talking. Well, maybe the artist is a regular here. These people are regulars. He just painted them into the scene, kind of as a tribute, a homage, if you will. So another thing that was kind of strange was the people were weird. They were kind of blankly smiling. They weren't really interacting, but they were just kind of, you know, when somebody just kind of looks at you blankly and you kind of think, hmm, what, what's going going on with them? One man came up to T.I. and he had put some music on the jukebox. The jukebox was one of those old Woolitzer bubbler jukeboxes with vinyls in it, uh, old school and put in uh, Chubby Checkers Let's Twist Again uh, from many years ago, put it in, and asked T.I., came over and asked T.I. to dance. He had a big grin, and you know, his teeth were rotten, and T.I. Uh, had a cane. She walked with a cane and held it up and said, no, thank you, I don't do much dancing. And she said she actually was glad she had that to, to, to offer as an excuse. So, you know, it was kind of a weird place, but again, they were happy they were able to stop and they were finishing up and they were talking. And, and then they noticed something they never noticed before. There's double doors, uh, like the old saloon doors in the old Western movies. The gunslinger would walk in and said, I won't talk to the sheriff. That was kind of double doors. But they noticed something in those doors that they did not notice initially. There were two kind of misty columns one was taller than the other. 
and they started talking. It's like, I don't remember seeing it. They look back and they almost started to develop like an old school Polaroid picture. One was male, appeared to be, it was like a humanoid figure, the other one female. And they talked some more and looked back and it had developed more. And the woman had curly hair and boots and T.I. had curly hair and boots. And the figure ended up having a cane. Uh, so basically, they were seeing themselves develop into the mural. At that point, they look at each other and say, let's get out of here. So get out of there. They did. They said they went out. They closed the door. Everything went pitch black like it had never been open. And as they were coming back, going out, the, the people were kind of smiling and motioning for them to come back. So anyway, uh, they left. They were the only car in the lot. All the other cars were gone mysteriously. But that's not the end of the story. T.I.'s braver than I am. So a day or two later, she comes back with her sister, I think it was. And it's she didn't wait till 3 o'clock in the morning. She went about 7, 8 o'clock at night. And she went with her sister, and there was a woman behind the bar. And she said, oh, I was here the other night. There was this big, strapping, good-looking guy behind the bar. And the lady bartender said, well, I don't know who that was because the only two people that tend bar here are me and my elderly father. And then Tia thought, well, that's strange. So she walked over to the jukebox to take a look. Well, first of all, it was a different jukebox. It was not... One of those old school, beautiful bubbler, Willertzer vinyl jukeboxes. It was at that time a modern CD jukebox. You know, by the way, it didn't have any chubby checker in it whatsoever. And then with that, T.I. left and she's never been back since. But there's two little addenda to this story. One is the place actually does exist. And author Chad Lewis went and took pictures of them and posted them on Facebook. The place exists and the mural exists. Um, the second thing is, is that uh, pre-pandemic 2019, uh, I went with a videographer and drove to T.I.'s home. And she's from Michigan, the state over from Wisconsin. And I went and visited with her and recorded a video version of the story with her. And I got to say, I believe her more now than I did on the initial telling and she comes from a well-respected profession, very nice person. I have no reason to not believe her. So to my original point, do you think it's ever possible that maybe people vanish because they go into some kind of portal or some kind of time slip or some alternate reality? I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying it's 99 out of 100. It might be 1 out of 10,000. But does that kind of thing exist? And what if they would have stayed? What would have happened if they would have stayed?